Today's guest has been inducted to several halls of fame, and he has a passion for helping children, not just training them as players, but also as people ready to be set up for success in the world. It is my honor to introduce to you former professional basketball player and five-time All-Star, Ralph Sampson, Jr. Ralph, thank you so yeah. much for being here. Thank you. You gave me the junior label, which is great. <laughs> There, there was a senior and there's a, there's a junior and a third. So thanks for having me. Yes. Now we all know so much about your impressive career as a basketball player, but please tell us, what are you up to now? Oh, every day is a different journey. So, you know, I have a, a platform of business ventures, uh, with a company called Winter Circle Enterprises. And then we have our foundation and we have, you know, hospitality, we have media, we have, you know, partnerships, and then I have all of my endorsements that I do through the same company, uh, but all focused mainly on giving back. For instance, our hospitality company, uh, we have a new restaurant that's been open for about a year uh, with a big, big company uh, behind us. And we have a upcoming coffee brand that's coming out called Ralph's House. Ooh, yeah. And a percentage of the, the sales goes back to community foundations right now in the state of Virginia. We'll expand it across the country once we grow a little bit bigger so we can send more kids to college. So our basic premises with my mother and father and our legacy is making sure we always give back. Mm. Yeah, I was starting to hear the kind of layered consistency there because you've got a lot of different ventures going on. So the common thread then is what, what you're telling me is that you just want to make sure that each venture is always giving back. Do you mean monetarily or do you mean uh, in other resource fashion? All of the above, depending upon what, I mean, obviously monetary helps a lot of kids go to school, but uh, we believe that, you know, you can give a kid $5,000 scholarship, but next year they're going to need that as well. Uh, or, or more the way um, our world that we live in, you know, inflation and all stuff bears down on kids' education today. But uh, we try to give them support. So we partner with like the Ron Brown Scholar Program that's in Charlottesville, Virginia, where they take a kid from you know, high school through college. They have to come back and give back to the community what they live in or the community that we serve. And then by the time they, between their junior and senior year, they have a job already in play before they get out of college. So we like organizations like that where we know that we can help somebody uh, not just give money and, and or support. It's got to be a combination of the two. Now, I understand that your parents had a big push for always giving back, but um, not every kid uh, picks up on the same passions that their parents have. They It imprints in them, but why is it so, such a passion of yours to give back? Well, I mean, I've seen it over the years, with, um, especially on both of my parents' side. My mother's side, there were uh, 12 siblings, nine boys and three girls. All of the boys were in World War II. My grandfather was in World War I. Uh, and we still have the family farm that I'm actually renovating, turned into an HGTV show sometime in the next year or so. But I have to have a give back on it as well. My mother went to Virginia State University, which is an agriculture university. So we kind of partnered with them with a scholarship for her. On my father's side, there were just two boys. And my father's story, which he passed away last year, but I still remember all the stories he told us that we always give back. We always enjoy people. And I didn't know how really powerful he was 
until I came back home and everybody started to say, your dad is really great. And then after his passing, we still get people say, your dad was one of the best people we ever knew. So I got to keep that legacy going somehow, some way, some shape or form in my hometown or wherever I can go. And that's what I'm built on and based on and that's how I grew up. What a legacy. Okay, so when you chose to give back, it, what's interesting to me is that you've taken such an interest in training children, not as just players, but you're really trying to motivate them and teach them discipline that will set them up for either an entrepreneurial life or some kind of success on their trajectory. Where did that come from? Well, I mean, you know, I never knew I was going to be seven foot four growing up, and I didn't know I was going to be. <laughs> basketball player, uh, started off playing baseball, which I, I used to love baseball. And ironically, now I work with, with the San Diego Padres a little bit and the baseball world. Uh, so it's just innate work ethic. So when you are a young kid and you have your um, uncles uh, telling you come work on the farm at six o'clock in the morning to build hay or pick potatoes, whatever it may be, you have to uh, really think about that work ethic. Uh, I was too tall to drive the tractors, but I could pick up the bale of hay and put them on the back of the wagons. And that's my mother and them would say, well, that's your workout. I mean, you're playing basketball, that's your workout. So things like that happen all the time. And, you know, it just, it just innated me from a workout standpoint or at work ethic standpoint that I had that ability to be around my uncles and father. I mean, my father worked till he was 80. Um, he, he passed away at 86. I uh, didn't know how valuable that was uh, until I came back home. He had some prostate and some lung cancer issues. We got that fixed. But as I recall him saying and or other people saying, you never retire. And so all that around me is based upon my mother, father, family, friends, and the community we grew up in because there was no color barriers. There was no you know, black, white, there was none of this. We all worked together. I mean, my teammates from high school, um, my my other associates in my high school and the, and the, their profession, football, baseball, basketball, went off to college and played baseball, some professionally, some just worked. And there's a major part of those years, there are guys that run billion dollar companies. So we had a very unique area to grow up in. And the biggest thing there was all in agriculture. So we are the largest agriculture community in the state of Virginia, bar wow. none. And we always, everybody worked together no matter what. So if you had a, had a tractor that I needed, we would borrow your tractor. We have one you needed, we could fix it, we fixed it. So my, 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 my having nine uncles uh, was a blessing in, in, in disguise as well, but they, they worked us to death, but we enjoyed it. Wow. So it, I, it sounds like, I mean, just living that kind of a lifestyle, it has to train you to have an acute sensitivity to work ethic. I mean, you can't, you almost can't help yourself because everyone around you has that great work ethic. So I can understand how when working with kids, you may notice those that need to step up their game when it comes to work ethic. But what made you want to help them in that specific area? What made you want to pay attention to entrepreneurs and give them guidance to make sure that they're set up and know what could potentially be their downfall? I mean, I mean, I think any successful business or, or, or child or any situation, if you have what I call grit, uh, you hear that all the time. You got to have the grit, you got to have the work ethic. What does that mean? Um, you see the likes of, you know, LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or, 
you know, Magic Johnson or when we played, the ones that rose to the top had their grit. I mean, we wake up six, seven o'clock in the morning and go work out. Um, there was no, when I played in NBA, there was no workout. There was no weight room. There was nothing there. Nutrition, there was nothing there. There was no financial literacy. There was nothing there that you could bank on. So we had to learn it ourselves. Oh. And being able to do that, I was the first NBA player to bring weight room to the NBA arena. And now they have weight rooms and scientists and nutritionists all over the place. And now they work out before the game, after the game, during the game, lift weights all the time. Before it was uh, throw off your shot. So the evolution of those type of things have, have have extended over the years. But I was doing it in the, in the, in the 80s. Um, and, you know, I had a bad game. I go in the gym that night and try to figure it out or get to the gym early next morning uh, and try to get a little bit of extra work in because I wanted to play. And my mother, it was funny because when I got to the NBA, we got this huge satellite in her backyard so she could watch all the games. And we didn't have cell phones and stuff like that either at that point in time. But when I called her the next day, she said, well, what's wrong with you? You didn't have a good game last night, uh, get in the gym, whatever. Cause my mom played basketball as well in high school. Oh. So I would, you know, did you eat right? Did you sleep right? What happened? You know, so she would grill me a little bit and, and she would know I had a bad game, but I know it as well. But I go back in the gym the next day and, and really hone in on what I need to do. And most people say, well, how many points do you have in this game? Or all points. I know how many turnovers I had in the game and how many mistakes I made, especially if we won or lost. And I would go back and try to work on those every day. But you got to have that grit in life. You got to have that grit. Anything you want to achieve, I don't care what it is. If you want to be the best yard care company out there you want to have the grip to make sure each yard you do or project you do is got the best you can do and so people will know that it's your work and so that's what we try to do when we were younger and that's the way i grew up i love that your mom had such a strong influence in the way you see your work ethic the way you saw your growth as a player it's really impressive. Were there other conversations, uh, and in particular about business, that you um, got to have at home? Is, where, what kind of conversations were you having at home around money and business? Well, my, my mother was a, a trade accountant for a actually trade as it seemed to be for a, a, a clothes clothing manufacturer of, of pants. So imagine having a kid that's you know. Six five, six three, six four, growing every year, and you got to buy clothes for that kid that grows a couple inches every year. So the pants are always short. So oh. His pants come and make my pants. And yes. Suit the award at that point in time, but every year would be different. So then they start to figure, okay, well, let's make the hem on it an extra inch and a half or two inches longer. So we just take the hem out the next year. So I would get new pants, but I would take the hem out so they would last a little bit longer. But she was accountant, so we would come home and she would bring the work home and she would let us help her add the hours up and all the sheets. There was no program. There was no system. It was all done by hand. So we started early on understanding what business was all about through my mom uh, and, and her work. And then my dad worked at a, a factory that made aluminum windows and doors. So they would take it out there and see the process where this big log of aluminum come in. It would be a window in a major building around the country. So we saw that supply chain process and he helped us, got us through all that as well from his job and my mom's job. So we saw with both parents, one way or another, how to work hard in the business, but also understand the numbers in the business as well. So it started us, you know, as me and my sisters know now, started us early on in the business. We didn't even know it at that point in time, but we do know it now. 
It's that, that's impressive. You know, I, I'm five foot one. So the yes. idea of having to, you know, buy pants that frequently yeah, just no is something I, <laughs> I wouldn't have even considered it as an issue. It wouldn't even cross my mind. You know, uh, when you're working with kids, I, I keep thinking back to you've got a program uh, that is in place right now and you've even trademarked it uh, map. And uh, you really put an emphasis on, and please tell me what that stands for, motivate. Attitude and plan. Attitude and plan. And you put this in place, and it sounds, I mean, like it really stemmed from just the way that you were raised. Can you tell us more about this program? Yeah, over the years after I got out of the MBA and like, okay, how can I give back and what do I do to give back? And so, you know, you accept programs and ideas. So I saw with my own children, and the school systems and, and, and the teachers and all that kind of stuff as well that, you know, and, and, and think about any business has a business plan or an idea of what they want to do and have to grow it, make it work. So teachers have a, a lesson plan. Parents have a plan for the kids to go to school. Businesses have a plan. Everything in life really has a plan. And we don't, as people sometimes plan our own life. We think about things uh, that we want to do or do, but we don't really think about the plan. And so I learned that, you know, after my playing days, to some extent, and looked at everything I was doing because now I'm not playing basketball anymore and I got to find something to do that I want to do. So everything stemmed from, you know, I was self-motivated. I wasn't someone that had to need a pat on the back to be motivated to do something. Um, and I was hearing in school systems all the time, well, this kid has a bad attitude or that kid has a bad attitude. It's like, okay, which kid has a good attitude? How do you make that work? And then what's your plan? So henceforth, Matt. Everybody has a map to travel or you have Google Maps on your phone, whatever it be. But how can we give kids a lesson plan for to be successful in their think of math? So we create a whole notebook. It's like almost like a organizer, but it has your goals for that year. So we started in ninth grade and then we took it to seniors in high school. So here's your plan. Here's your classes. You want to be a doctor. You want to be a lawyer, whatever. And because of the world that we live in, even today, um, especially in the athletic world, they would give kids and even myself to some extent when I got to college, all these, what they call good classes or, or, or grades, you can just get a grade to help your GPA. That really didn't mean anything. But in the end, you look at the method because you met a teacher, you met a classmate, you, you bonded with people, this really was all about, but you really didn't learn anything. Mm -hmm. So you have to take classes and do things that are relative to the world, like financial literacy, to English, to math, whatever you got to take, to make sure you can understand what the world's all about. And that's, that's how MAP started. And then I was in high school in Georgia when I lived there. I would do after school programs with my kids. And what was going on is I would take my kids and do the studying and I would take them to school before their basketball practice. And I'd bring them something to eat and we'd go do their MAP of the day, do their homework in the hallway. And all of a sudden you see 10 kids, 15 kids, 60 kids, 70 kids in the hallway doing their homework. And the principal came to me and said, um, we can't do this. I'm like, why? He said, because it's, the school's closed and we have nobody supervised. I'm like, I don't know what those kids are doing over there, but I do know what mine are doing. So in a long story short, we did that and then ended up getting a substitute teacher after school program because we got all the last key kids that are going home to where? I mean, home to the street, home, no parents' home, no whatever it may be. So it started that way. And then it continued in Georgia, actually, as we speak now, and I'll bring it to you know, Harrisonburg, which is where I you know, live in Charlottesville, where I went to school. But that program exists, and then we got 
funding to Wells Fargo and all these other people. So we hired a, um, a substitute teacher because she already had the, the qualifications, right, to to be in a school after school with all the things that they needed to know. So it's been going on, you know, for for a while through a nonprofit that we partnered with to make that thing work. So that's how MAP started. That's what's going on with it today. And we hope, you know, if I have more time, I will get more involved with it these days, but expand it more to other 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 areas. But it's going on in our hometown and Atlanta, Georgia as well. well. That's outstanding. I think it's really interesting that you included attitude. So I want to ask you, you know, why why did you focus on that's something that is um, an emotional aspect of um, setting up a plan for yourself, but what tips do you have for kids or, you know, even maybe better yet, parents to help encourage their kids and, and nurture this idea of, of added, including attitude in our plan for success? I mean, it's a little bit different these days. Um, and I think it evolves over the years. Um, kids today have more devices and screens and all these things they have access mm -hmm. to, right? Um, and, and I wish I would have access to those things when I was coming up because I'd be a hundred times better than I am now, hopefully, uh, if I knew how to use those. But the screens and stuff, I see kids today, mental attitude, they get mad because they're not on the screens. You know, they, they mm -hmm. don't, they drop PE from school so they don't get the physical activity they need to stimulate the mind, the body. But, and the eyesight gets bad. So there's a lot of stuff going on these days than it was back then. True. But, to keep motivated that way, you have to take a kid no matter at what level they may be uh, and expose them to things that they can understand and or love. And then you got to follow up. So the discipline, the attitude is one. So partly in my upbringing, uh, we had to make a, make sure first thing in the morning, you get dressed, go to school, your bed had to be made before you left the house. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and even to this day, even I'm in hotels, whatever, I'm not telling him to make, make the bed as well, even though there's a maid coming. But that think about that maid that's got all those other rooms to clean, and I'm sleeping there. And, you know, the sheets are not dirty, so I just make it up and come back the next next day. And they now have these rules. Well, if you want to, your bed made up, put a little note on the bed, and they'll make it up. If you don't, then leave it alone. But uh, they conserve water. It does all these things back then. But making your bed in the morning is the first thing that you should teach a kid. Um, because they give you a, a, a sense of accomplishment for that day. You come back and my room is clean, everything's in order, and I can sit and be at peace of mind. Then I can do my homework, then I got to do other things. And then, you know, for, for boys, take the track. Just little things that when they're a certain age that they get disciplined and do. So when they get in the real world life that they understand that just the little things in life become the big things in the world that we live in. And then you can accomplish anything after that. So that's how we started. Oh, I love that. I love that the little things lead to the larger things that we're hoping yes. to achieve. I love that. And, you know, the small wins in the morning, like just making your bed, is it probably has a profound impact on the way that the kid sees their day. And I'm sure that you do that one small thing and then you build on that concept and add more. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Ralph, and I feel like we have so much to learn for, from you. But I thank you so much for your time, your insight, and your perspective today. Oh, you're so welcome. I mean, the last thing I would leave you with is one of my mother's saying is make your make your 80% better than most people's 100%. Oh, you know, yes. Plan well in the game or whatever, but make sure your 80% was better than that next guy's 100% because you're not going to be at 100% every day. 
but your 80% should be better than most people's 100%. So thank you for having me and uh, let's do it again for sure. And I'm sure there's 18 million more things to talk about, but I enjoyed your time with you. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you for that, those last encouraging words about our 100%. Thank you. Thank you.